0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Alan Quatermain by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 10. The Rose of Fire On we flew, drawn by the mighty current, till at last I noticed that the sound of the water was not half so deafening as it had been, and concluded that this must be because there was more room for the echoes to disperse in. I could now hear Alphonse's howls much more distinctly. They were made up of the oddest mixture of invocations to the supreme power in the name of his beloved Annette that it is possible to conceive, and, in short, though their evident earnestness saved them from profanity, were, to say the least, very remarkable. Taking up a paddle, I managed to drive it into his ribs, whereon he, thinking that the end had come, howled louder than ever. Then I slowly and cautiously raised myself on my knees and stretched my hand upwards, but could touch no roof. Next I took the paddle and lifted it above my head as high as I could, but with the same result. I also thrust it out laterally, to the right and left, but could touch nothing except water. Then I bethought me that there was in the boat, amongst our other remaining possessions, a bull's-eye lantern and a tin of oil. I groped about and found it, and having a match on me carefully lit it, and as soon as the flame had got a hold of the wick, I turned it on down the boat. As it happened, the first thing the light lit on was the white and scared face of Alphonse, who, thinking that it was all over at last, and that he was witnessing a preliminary celestial phenomenon, gave a terrific yell, and was with difficulty reassured with the paddle. As for the other three, Good was lying on the flat of his back, his eyeglass still fixed in his eye and gazing blankly into the upper darkness sir henry had his head resting on the thwarts of the canoe and with his hand was trying to test the speed of the water but when the beam of light fell upon old mslopogaas i could really have laughed i think i have said that we had put a roast quarter of water-buck into the canoe well it so happened that when we all prostrated ourselves to avoid being swept out of the boat and into the water by the rock roof, Umslopogaas's head had come down uncommonly near this roast buck, and so soon as he had recovered a little from the first shock of our position it occurred to him that he was hungry. Thereupon he coolly cut off a chop with nkosikas and was now employed in eating it with every appearance of satisfaction. As he afterward explained, he thought that he was going on a long journey and preferred to start on a full stomach. It reminded me of the people who are going to be hanged and who are generally reported in the English daily papers to have made an excellent breakfast. As soon as the others saw that I had managed to light the lamp, we bundled Alphonse into the farther end of the canoe with a threat which calmed him down wonderfully that if he would insist upon making the darkness hideous with his cries, we would put him out of suspense by sending him to join the Wakwafi and wait for Annette in another sphere, and began to discuss the situation as well as we could. First, however, at good suggestion, we bound two paddles, mast fashion, in the bows, so that they might give us warning against any sudden lowering of the roof of the cave or waterway it was clear to us that we were in an underground river, or as Alphonse defined it, main drain, which carried off the superfluous waters of the lake. Such rivers are well known to exist in many parts of the world, but it has not often been the evil fortune of explorers to travel by them. That the river was wide we could clearly see, for the light from the bull's-eye lantern failed to reach from shore to shore. Although occasionally, when the current swept us either to one side or the other, we could distinguish the rock wall of the tunnel, which as far as we could make out appeared to arch about 25 feet above our heads. As for the current itself, it ran, good estimated, at least 8 knots, and fortunately for us was, as is usual, fiercest in the middle of the stream. Still, our first act was to arrange that one of us, with the lantern and a pole there was in the canoe, should always be in the bows, ready if possible, to prevent us from being stove in against the side of the cave or any projecting rock. Umslopogaas, having already dined, took the first turn. This was absolutely, with one exception, all that we could do towards preserving our safety. The exception was that another of us took up a position in the stern with a paddle, by means of which it was possible to steer the canoe, more or less, and to keep her from the sides of the cave. These matters attended to we made a somewhat sparing meal off the cold buck's meat, for we did not know how long it might have to last us. And then, feeling in rather better spirits, I gave my opinion that Serious as it undoubtedly was, I did not consider our position altogether without hope, unless indeed the natives were right and the river plunged straight down into the bowels of the earth. If not, it was clear that it must emerge somewhere, probably on the other side of the mountains, and in that case all we had to think of was to keep ourselves alive till we got there, wherever there might be. But, of course, as Good lugubriously pointed out, on the other hand, we might fall victims to a hundred unsuspected horrors, or the river might go on winding away inside the earth till it dried up, in which case our fate would indeed be an awful one. Well, let us hope for the best and prepare ourselves for the worst, said Sir Henry, who is always cheerful and even-spirited a very tower of strength in the time of trouble. We have come out of so many queer scrapes together that somehow I almost fancy we shall come out of this, he added. This was excellent advice, and we proceeded to take it each in our separate way, that is, except Alphonse, who had by now sunk into a sort of terrified stupor. Good was at the helm, and Umslopogas in the bows, so there was nothing left for sir henry and myself to do except to lie down in the canoe and think it certainly was a curious and indeed almost a weird position to be placed in rushing along as we were through the bowels of the earth born on the bosom of a stygian river something after the fashion of souls being ferried by Charon, as curtis said and how dark it was the feeble ray from our little lamp did but serve to show the darkness. There in the bows sat old Umslopogaas, like Pleasure in the poem. End note. Mr. Allan Quatermain misquotes Pleasure sat at the helm. Editor. Watchful and untiring, the pole ready to his hand and behind in the shadow I could just make out the form of good peering forward at the ray of light in order to make out how to steer with the paddle that he held and now and again dipped into the water well well thought I you have come in search of adventures Alan my boy and you have certainly got them at your time of life too you ought to be ashamed of yourself but somehow you are not and awful as it all is Perhaps you will pull through after all. And if you don't, why, you cannot help it, you see. And when all's said and done, an underground river will make a very appropriate burying place. At first, however, I am bound to say that the strain upon the nerves was very great. It is trying to the coolest and most experienced person not to know from one hour to another if he has five minutes more to live but there is nothing in this world that one cannot get accustomed to and in time we began to get accustomed even to that. And after all our anxiety, though no doubt natural, was strictly speaking illogical, seeing that we never know what is going to happen to us the next minute, even when we sit in a well-drained house with two policemen patrolling under the window, nor how long we have to live. It is all arranged for us, my sons, so what is the use of bothering? It was nearly midday when we made our dive into darkness, and we had set our watch, good and Umslopogaas, at two, having agreed that it should be of a duration of five hours. At seven o'clock, accordingly, Sir Henry and I went on, Sir Henry at the bow and I at the stern, and the other two lay down and went to sleep. For three hours all went well, Sir Henry only finding it necessary once to push us off from the side. And I that but little steering was required to keep us straight, as the violent current did all that was needed, though occasionally the canoe showed a tendency which had to be guarded against to veer and travel broadside on. What struck me as the most curious thing about this wonderful river was how did the air keep fresh? It was muggy and thick, no doubt, but still not sufficiently so to render it bad or even remarkably unpleasant. The only explanation that I can suggest is that the water of the lake had sufficient air in it to keep the atmosphere of the tunnel from absolute stagnation, this air being given out as it proceeded on its headlong way. Of course, I only give the solution of the mystery for what it is worth, which perhaps is not much. When I had been for three hours or so at the helm, I began to notice a decided change in the temperature, which was getting warmer. At first I took no notice of it, but when, at the expiration of another half hour, I found that it was getting hotter and hotter, I called to Sir Henry and asked him if he noticed it or if it was only my imagination. Noticed it, he answered, I should think so. I am in a sort of Turkish bath. Just about then the others woke up gasping, and were obliged to begin to discard their clothes. Here Umslopogas had the advantage, for he did not wear any to speak of, except a mocha. Hotter it grew, and hotter yet, till at last we could scarcely breathe and the perspiration poured out of us. Half an hour more, and though we were all now stark naked we could hardly bear it. The place was like an antechamber of the infernal regions proper. I dipped my hand into the water and it out almost with a cry. It was nearly boiling. We consulted a little thermometer we had. The mercury stood at 123 degrees from the surface of the water rose a dense cloud of steam. Alphonse groaned out that we were already in purgatory, which indeed we were, though not in the sense that he meant it. Sir Henry suggested that we must be passing near the seat of some underground volcanic fire, and I am inclined to think, especially in light of what subsequently occurred, that he was right. Our sufferings for some time after this really passed my powers of description. We no longer perspired, for all the perspiration had been sweated out of us. We simply lay in the bottom of the boat, which we were now physically incapable of directing, feeling like hot embers, and I fancy undergoing very much the same sensations that the poor fish do when they are dying on land, namely that of slow suffocation. Our skins began to crack, and the blood to throb in our heads like the beating of a steam engine. This had been going on for some time, when suddenly the river turned a little, and I heard Sir Henry call out from the bows in a hoarse, startled voice, and looking up, saw a most wonderful and awful thing. About half a mile ahead of us, and a little to the left of the center of the stream, which we could now see was about 90 feet broad. A huge pillar-like jet of almost white flame rose from the surface of the water and sprang 50 feet into the air when it struck the roof and spread out some 40 feet in diameter, falling back in curved sheets of fire shaped like the petals of a full-blown rose. Indeed, this awful gas jet resembled nothing so much as a great flaming flower rising out of the black water. Below was the straight stalk, a foot or more thick, and above the dreadful bloom. And as for the fearfulness of it and its fierce and awesome beauty, who can describe it? Certainly I cannot. Although we were now some five hundred yards away, it, notwithstanding the steam, lit up the whole cavern as clear as day, and we could see that the roof was here about forty feet above us, and washed perfectly smooth with water. The rock was black, and here and there I could make out long shining lines of ore running through it like great veins, but of what metal they were I know not. On we rushed towards this pillar of fire, "'which gleamed fiercer than any furnace ever lit by man. "'Keep the boat to the right, Quatermain, to the right,' shouted Sir Henry. "'And a minute afterwards I saw him fall forward senseless. "'Alphonse had already gone. "'Good was the next to go. "'There they lay, as though dead. "'Only Umslopogaas and I kept our senses.' We were within fifty yards of it now, and I saw the Zulu's head fall forward on his hands. He had gone, too, and I was alone. I could not breathe. The fierce heat dried me up. For yards and yards round the great rows of fire, the rock roof was red hot. The wood of the boat was almost burning. I saw the feathers on one of the dead swans began to twist and shrivel up, but I would not give in. I knew that if I did, we should pass within three or four yards of the gas jet and perish miserably. I set the paddle so as to turn the canoe as far from it as possible and held on grimly. My eyes seemed to be bursting from my head, and through my closed lids I could see the fierce light. We were nearly opposite now. It roared like all the fires of hell, and the water boiled furiously around it. Five seconds more. We were past. I heard the roar behind me. Then I, too, fell senseless. The next thing that I recollect is feeling a breath of air upon my face. My eyes opened with great difficulty. I looked up. Far, far above me there was light, though around me was great gloom. Then I remembered and looked. The canoe still floated down the river, and in the bottom of it lay the naked forms of my companions. Were they dead? I wondered. Was I left alone in this awful place? I knew not. Next I became conscious of a burning thirst. I put my hand over the edge of the boat into the water, and drew it up again with a cry. No wonder, nearly all the skin was burnt off the back of it. The water, however, was cold, or nearly so, and I drank pints and splashed myself all over. My body seemed to suck up the fluid as one may see a brick wall suck up rain after a drought, but where I was burnt the touch of it caused intense pain. Then I bethought myself of the others, and dragging myself towards them with difficulty, I sprinkled them with water, and to my joy they began to recover. Um, Umslopogas first, then the others. Next they drank, absorbing water like so many sponges. Then, feeling chilly, a queer contrast to our recent sensations, we began as best we could to get into our clothes. As we did so, Good pointed to the port side of the canoe. It was all blistered with heat, and in places actually charred. Had it been built like our civilized boats, Good said that the planks would certainly have warped and let in enough water to sink us. But fortunately it was dug out of the soft, willowy wood of a single great tree, and had sides nearly three inches and a bottom four inches thick. What that awful flame was we never discovered, but I suppose that there was at this spot a crack or hole in the bed of the river through which a vast volume of gas forced its way from its volcanic home in the bowels of the earth towards the upper air. How it first became ignited is, of course, impossible to say. Probably I should think from some spontaneous explosion of mephitic gases As soon as we had got some things together, and shaken ourselves together a little, we set to work to make out where we were now. I have said that there was light above, and on examination we found that it came from the sky. A river that was, Sir Henry said, a literal realization of the wild vision of the poet. End note where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man, down to a sunless sea. Was no longer underground, but was running on its darksome way, not now through caverns measureless to man, but between two frightful cliffs, which cannot have been less than two thousand feet high. So high were they indeed, that though the sky was above us, where we were was dense gloom. Not darkness, indeed, but the gloom of a room closely shuttered in the daytime. Up on either side rose the great straight cliffs, grim and forbidding, till the eye grew dizzy with trying to measure their sheer height. The little space of sky that marked where they ended lay like a thread of blue upon their soaring blackness, "'which was unrelieved by any tree or creeper. "'Here and there, however, grew ghostly patches "'of a long gray lichen, "'hanging motionless to the rock "'as the white beard to the chin of a dead man. "'It seemed as though only the dregs "'or heavier part of the light "'had sunk to the bottom of this awful place. "'No bright-winged sunbeam could fall so low, They died far, far above our heads. By the river's edge was a little shore, formed of round fragments of rock, washed into this shape by the constant action of water, and giving the place the appearance of being strewn with thousands of fossil cannonballs. Evidently, when the water of the underground river is high, there is no beach at all, or very little between the border of the stream and the precipitous cliffs but now there was a space of seven or eight yards and here on this beach we determined to land in order to rest ourselves a little after all that we had gone through and to stretch our limbs. It was a dreadful place but it would give an hours respite from the terrors of the river and also allow of our repacking and arranging the canoe Accordingly, we selected what looked like a favorable spot, and with some little difficulty managed to beach the canoe and scramble out onto the round, inhospitable pebbles. "'My word!' called out Good, who was on shore the first. "'What an awful place! It's enough to give one a fit!' And he laughed. Instantly a thundering voice took up his words magnifying them a hundred times give one a fit ho 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 a fit ho 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 answered another voice in wild accents from far up the cliff a fit a fit a fit fit." chimed in voice after voice each flinging the words to and fro with shouts of awful laughter to the invisible lips of the other "'till the whole place echoed with the words "'and with shrieks of fiendish merriment, "'which at last ceased as suddenly as they had begun. "'Oh, mon Dieu!' yelled Alphonse, "'startled quite out of such self-command as he possessed. Mon "'Mon Dieu! Mon Dieu! Mon Dieu!' "'The titanic echoes thundered, shrieked, and wailed "'in every conceivable tone.' "'Ah!' said Umslopogaas calmly. "'I clearly perceive that devils live here. "'Well, the place looks like it.' "'I tried to explain to him that the cause of all the hubbub "'was a very remarkable and interesting echo, "'but he would not believe it. "'Ah!' he said. "'I know an echo when I hear one. "'There was one lived opposite my kraal in Zululand, "'and the Itombi's maidens.' "'Used to talk with it. "'But if what we hear is a full-grown echo, mine at home can only have been a baby. "'No, no, they are devils up there. "'But I don't think much of them, though,' he added, taking a pinch of snuff. "'They can copy what one says, but they don't seem to be able to talk on their own account, "'and they dare not show their faces.' and he relapsed into silence and apparently paid no further attention to such contemptible fiends. After this we found it necessary to keep our conversation down to a whisper, for it was really unbearable to have every word one uttered tossed to and fro like a tennis ball, as precipice called to precipice but even our whispers ran up the rocks in mysterious murmurs till at last they died away in long-drawn sighs of sound. Echoes are delightful and romantic things, but we had more than enough of them in that dreadful gulf. As soon as we had settled ourselves a little on the round stones, we went on to wash and dress our burns as well as we could. As we had but a little oil for the lantern, WE COULD NOT SPARE ANY FOR THIS PURPOSE, SO WE SKINNED ONE OF THE SWANS AND USED THE FAT OFF ITS BREAST, WHICH PROVED AN EXCELLENT SUBSTITUTE. THEN WE REPACKED THE CANOE, AND FINALLY BEGAN TO TAKE SOME FOOD, OF WHICH I NEED SCARCELY SAY WE WERE IN NEED, FOR OUR INSENSIBILITY HAD ENDURED FOR MANY HOURS, AND IT WAS, AS OUR WATCHES SHOWED, MIDDAY. ACCORDINGLY, WE SEATED OURSELVES IN A CIRCLE and were soon engaged in discussing our cold meat with such appetite as we could muster, which in my case at any rate was not much, as I felt sick and faint after my sufferings of the previous night, and had besides a racking headache. It was a curious meal. The gloom was so intense that we could scarcely see the way to cut our food and convey it to our mouths. Still we got on pretty well, till i happened to look behind me my attention being attracted by a noise of something crawling over the stones and perceived sitting upon a rock in my immediate rear a huge species of black freshwater crab only it was five times the size of any crab i ever saw this hideous and loathsome looking animal had projecting eyes that seemed to glare at one very long and flexible antennae or feelers, and gigantic claws. Nor was I especially favored with its company. From every quarter, dozens of these horrid brutes were creeping up, drawn, I suppose, by the smell of the food, from between the round stones and out of holes in the precipice. Some were already quite close to us. I stared quite fascinated by the unusual sight, and as I did so I saw one of the beasts "'stretch out its huge claw "'and give the unsuspecting goods "'such a nip behind that he jumped up "'with a howl, and set the "'wild echoes flying in sober "'earnest. "'Just then, too, another, "'a very large one, got hold "'of Alphonse's leg, and "'declined to part with it, and "'as may be imagined, a considerable "'scene ensued. Umslopogaas took "'his axe, and cracked the shell "'of one with the flat of it, Whereupon it set up a horrid screaming, which the echoes multiplied a thousandfold and began to foam at the mouth, a proceeding that drew hundreds more of its friends out of unsuspected holes and corners. Those on the spot perceiving that the animal was hurt fell upon it like creditors on a bankrupt and literally rent it limb from limb with their huge pincers and devoured it, using their claws to convey the fragments to their mouths seizing whatever weapons were handy, such as stones or paddles, we commenced a war upon the monsters, whose numbers were increasing by leaps and bounds, and whose stench was overpowering. So fast as we cracked their armor, others seized the injured ones and devoured them, foaming at the mouth and screaming as they did so. Nor did the brutes stop at that. When they could, they nipped hold of us, and awful nips they were or tried to steal the meat. One enormous fellow got hold of the swan we had skinned and began to drag it off. Instantly a score of others flung themselves upon the prey, and then began a ghastly and disgusting scene. How the monsters foamed and screamed and rent the flesh and each other. It was a sickening and unnatural sight, and one that will haunt all of us who saw it till their dying day. "'enacted as it was in the deep oppressive gloom "'and set to the unceasing music "'of the many-toned, nerve-shaking echoes. "'Strange as it may seem to say so, "'there was something so shockingly human "'about these fiendish creatures. "'It was as though all the most evil passions "'and desires of man had got into the shell "'of a magnified crab and gone mad.' they were so dreadfully courageous and intelligent, and they looked as if they understood. The whole scene might have furnished material for another canto of Dante's Inferno, as Curtis said. I say, you fellows, let's get out of this, or we shall all go off our heads, sung out Good, and we were not slow to take the hint. Pushing the canoe, around which the animals were now crawling by hundreds and making vain attempts to climb, off the rocks, we bundled into it and got out into midstream, leaving behind us the fragments of our meal and the screaming, foaming, stinking mass of monsters in full possession of the ground. Those are the devils of the place, said Umslopagas, with the air of one who has solved a problem. And upon my word I felt almost inclined to agree with him. Um, Umslopogaas's remarks were like his axe, very much to the point. What's to be done next? asked Sir Henry blankly. Drift, I suppose, I answered. And we drifted accordingly. All the afternoon and well into the evening we floated on in the gloom beneath the far-off line of blue sky, scarcely knowing when day ended and night began. For down in that vast gulf the difference was not marked, till at length Good pointed out a star hanging right above us, which, having nothing better to do, we observed with great interest. Suddenly it vanished, the darkness became intense, and a familiar murmuring sound filled the air underground again, I said with a groan, holding up the lamp. Yes, there was no doubt about it. I could just make out the roof. The chasm had come to an end and the tunnel had recommenced. And then there began another long, long night of danger and horror. To describe all its incidents would be too wearisome. So I will simply say that about midnight we struck on a flat projecting rock in midstream, and were as nearly as possible overturned and drowned. However, at last we got off, and went upon the uneven tenor of our way, and so the hours passed till it was nearly three o'clock. Sir Henry, Good, and Alphonse were asleep, utterly worn out. Um, "'Umslopogaas was at the bow with the pole, and I was steering, "'when I perceived that the rate at which we were traveling "'had perceptibly increased. "'Then, suddenly, I heard Um, Umslopogaas make an exclamation, "'and next second came a sound as of parting branches, "'and I became aware that the canoe was being forced "'through hanging bushes or creepers. "'Another minute, and the breath of sweet open air "'fanned my face.' and I felt that we had emerged from the tunnel and were floating upon clear water. I say felt, for I could see nothing, the darkness being absolutely pitchy, as it often is just before the dawn. But even this could scarcely damp my joy. We were out of that dreadful river, and wherever we might have got to, this at least was something to be thankful for. And so I sat down, and inhaled the sweet night air and waited for the dawn with such patience as I could command. End of chapter 10